0: Welcome, everybody, to Remotely Renee. We are chugging along. I love it here. Let me welcome in the Two Lit crew, my VP, Snookabooka Cole. What up, fam? And I think a little birdie told me that today might be a national holiday. That birdie is VP. What holiday is it today, VP?
1: So this is going to be a new little intro segment. Uh, So there's a holiday every day, pretty much. So today is June 8th. And today's holiday is National Best Friend Day and World Oceans Day.
0: Wait a minute national best friend day is today yeah i need to call my best friend and tell her happy best friend day basically y'all know who my best friend is shouts to lisa lee um and what was the second one
1: uh uh, world oceans day
0: so i don't know what that oh like where we just celebrate the oceans we should be on the beach somewhere is that what you're saying
1: absolutely i agree
0: (laughs) yes i agree
1: save the oceans
0: save the oceans i love it so okay so what we got on the scoreboard we should should be buying
2: some jewelry from that company that when you pay they clean up the ocean make you a little bracelet out of the debris that they pull in and stuff
0: that's a good point snooker booker look at her she's just so aware we do everybody if you're listening to this right now we should all do something to help the oceans and i like snooker booker's idea buy some of that jewelry that they use where they get all the the stuff out of the ocean the pollution and all of that whatever's in the ocean they get it out buy something from that that was that's a good idea look at my snooker booker what we got up today vp scoreboard
1: all right, so the first one, we'll go with WNBA. Tasha Cloud got her own Players Edition sneaker by Converse.
0: Yes. So if you guys saw it, I saw the the unveiling of the shoe. One thing I loved about the unveiling, if you guys watch it, just look into Tasha Cloud's face. She has like a, a permanent smile. She's hyped. But this discussion is happening a lot where people are wondering whatever happened to the player-exclusive shoes, especially on the women's side. We knew that there used to be some um, – a couple back in the day, but there really haven't been many shoes that are specifically for women athletes. Natasha Cloud got one. Have y'all seen it? What you think about it, Snoop?
2: Oh, I think it's great. It's great. And Converse too, since Converse is making a big comeback right now, that is just perfect. Look, out, look out Nike. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Nike is
2: Converse.
1: Nike, Nike owns them actually. Really?
0: Oh my goodness. Yes. <laughs> I didn't I, 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 I didn't
2: when these cut these gobble up all the little guys and so really like you know, Adidas
1: and Adidas owns Reebok.
2: Yeah.
3: Um, I did know that one. I didn't know it <laughs> did own Reebok. I did know that one, but I didn't know Mikey on Converse. But okay, that's good to know. But I think they were um I think it's great. I think you could see the pure happiness. That it was her shoe wow. she was looking at it. And she liked the fact that she designed it. I, I, she had a lot of pride and it. it was actually a nice to see. And it's a nice looking shoe too. I, li- I like the shoe too.
0: And the thing about it is when, when these things happen and I talk about this all the time, when people release something, we have to support it. That's the only way, you know, we can't complain about brands not giving a woman a shoe and then we don't support the shoe when it comes out. We can't complain about brands not giving someone a woman a platform and then when that person's platform is on TV or, or when they release something, we don't support it. So we need to make sure that as a community that we support Natasha Cloud and show brands that if you put it out there, we will support it. We will purchase it. So if you can't, and- if you don't even play sports but you know your friend does or you know that somebody's niece is in AAU or has, buy it as a gift. You know, I always say that like get their size, buy it as a gift cuz it matters. They there has to be that support behind it. What else you got, VP?
1: Yeah, for sure. And I forgot to say the the name of it is uh Pedal Pedal to or
0: Pedal to the Metal? Pedal to the Metal. It has
3: a little pedal on it too, a little rose pedal at the bottom. It was cute.
0: The details oh, are important. She has a pedal right the metal. here. Of a, of a flower, and then she has a rose petal on um, her shoe. I love details, so the details are there in the shoe. Get into it. Right,
1: <laughs> so what I have next is uh, Michael Jordan and the Jordan brand uh, over the next 10 years are donating $100 million to fight systemic racism, and the first three are Morehouse, uh, the Smithsonian, and well, uh, Ida B. Wells As- Association. Yep,
0: yep, yep, yep. And you know what, I have to just, I remember going back to where we were in the thick of things of the pandemic. And a lot of people were calling for athletes, entertainers, former athletes, to kind of take a stand or do something. And a lot of people were complaining about what basically rich athletes or rich celebrities were or were not doing. Well, Michael Jordan was in that conversation. I saw some people toss around his name a few times look at what Michael Jordan is doing. So the same people that was tossing around that name, y'all need to show some love, $100 million. I saw also too And this, to that point, there is a lot of people do say that they're gonna donate a lot of money and then we never really see where that money goes. We never really see what happens with that money. Well, I, like not that we have to but I love that Michael Jordan what they're doing they're letting you know it's kind of like what Colin Kaepernick did when he had his his camp that was the know your rights camp he had on his website exactly where every dollar was going how they were spending it what they were doing it with no he didn't have to do that but that transparency is dope and so now Jordan Brand is laying out what they plan to do with the money what are y'all's thoughts on that Cole
3: I'm glad to hear it. Cause yeah, I heard his name tossed out there a couple of times too. And I was like, oh boy. So yeah, when people call you, especially when the Jordan brand is so popular and people are like, Hey, people spend the money these Jordans. But so I'm glad he actually came out, stepped up. Like you said, it is his decision to do it. It's his money. It's his right. But I'm very happy to hear it. And hopefully it opens up the trend, like be a part of the club say, Oh, I gave, Oh no, I gave, you know, kind of outdo each other. I'm all for it. I love Ooh,
0: it. I like that. Everybody flex on each other. You know, there's bottle wars in the club where how many bottles can you get? Oh, my table can get more. Everyone wants to get the most expensive car. They want to get the most expensive house. What if people started to flex when it came to philanthropy and everyone was like, Oh, you donated 10 million. That's nothing. Uh, Michael Jordan donated a hundred million is going to HBCUs and other things. So what do you think about that?
2: Well, Well, I think it's great, and having worked with a lot of grants and um, organizations that needed to, that took in money, free money, I love the transparency part because I think that makes, uh, right now when I give, I make sure I look it up and see if the money that I'm giving is not going just for the administration or going for something stupid, you know, if you want to help, for instance, if you want to help an animal, you want to help, you want to help the animal, not the animal's owner, so, you know.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, I see you, Mike. All right, like Mike, what's up, VP? Yeah,
1: so EA Sports brought in $1.6 trillion from Ultimate Team, from Madden, FIFA, and NHL franchises. Um, And then I saw, you know, they don't have the women's uh, soccer, or actually they might have the women's soccer, but they don't have the women's uh, um, hockey league in there. So I saw a little call out for there to make more money uh so what do you guys think about that
3: i don't even understand what type of money we talking about i don't don't even understand what i I can't even when you said trillion i was like well what are we talking about i I don't even know where and how that even i can't even equate to that type of money so
0: what was the amount again just so i can try to digest that number
2: 1.6 billion 1.6 1.6 billion.
0: Oh, it was with a B, Okay, because I was oh, going
2: you say...
3: said I thought you said trillion. I was like, I don't even know. Even billion, I don't even know even about that, but trillion, I thought you said trillion. I'm sorry. I'm sorry.
0: Because I was going to say, if he said with a T, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to pick up <laughs> a video game. I'm going to pick up something. Let me get a controller. Let me try to figure out can we get inside the game? I don't know, but I, even with the B, I mean, with the T, that's just ridiculous. Trillion is crazy, but yeah. Billion is crazy enough in itself. I don't even know what to think about that. Like, yeah, video games are making a lot of money.
3: It's it's not even real games. They're not even real games. (laughs) It is The internet is, there's no real pieces to this, really. What do you mean by that?
1: So we talk about NFTs a lot. It's like, because for the ultimate teams, you buy, it's like you buy packs and the players come in the packs. So it's actually kind of been out before all this NFT craze. And they're only like maybe like a couple dollars each. So it's like- And you them. download them. It's no real
3: material. It's no material to it. That's the part that gets So me- they don't
0: even that's have to pay that. They don't, they're not even paying for packaging, shipping, none of that. They're just collecting all the coins. And it's, and you know what? That's that, that's that one to $2 slow hustle, but they got it on a mass scale. So it's like, wow. Yeah, that's how,
1: that's how Fortnite was successful because they- didn't charge for the game and then everyone just buy. that's why they don't really need to charge for video games no more Well,
0: I- fortnight got my money i'm gonna tell you right now junior be playing that Fortnite. he wants all the skins and- all the badges patches perks they got all my money so i i believe it i'm surprised it's not a trillion with how much money that that people are putting into these games
3: mom what if i came to you and said mom i want to give the internet x amount of dollars dad would have had a fit dad would have <laughs> like you lost your mind
0: You're not yeah, what did he said if i was like it i need a hundred dollars for some clothes in a video game
2: no no i mean
0: that's what you
2: saying. know y'all are probably still being locked up in your room upstairs to this day <laughs>
3: <laughs> i'm telling you that's literally asking people just to hand money over to the internet like back in the day mom and them buy us the game or they buy something we came home with it they saw yeah. what that's it. it don't ask for nothing else don't that's it nothing else now it's like oh give me a hundred dollars so I can give it to the internet never Goodness. see anything
0: yes must be nice it yep. must be nice is that it VP on the scoreboard today you got any bonus ones what's up
1: yeah the big one the major one the biggest one in college sports the Name, image, and likeness um, article came out on Front Office Sports um, about the NAIA, uh, athletes already profiting off themselves. And um, I know everyone read it, so what's your guys' opinion on it?
0: Okay, boy, is this a discussion. So on the one hand, there's a lot of people that are not necessarily for there. Everybody's for athletes making money in college. I think that's pretty understood. If the universities are making money off the athletes, why aren't the athletes making money off of themselves? So I think that's pretty understood, but there's a large debate going on. It's NAIA has very loose rules and regulations. And so basically the athletes almost police themselves. They have to check in with the athletic department. And then on the other side, the NCAA thinks this could get out of hand. We might need to have some rules and regulations because basically having athletes police themselves might not go over the best. So I'm curious to hear people's thoughts. Uh, Cole, what are your thoughts on just athletes and the NCAA strict rules? Like what, like, what are your thoughts on it? The NAIA, I'm just curious, like, where are we falling on this debate?
3: I am with the NCAA. I think it needs to be very restricted because honestly, and I'm just going to be honest with everybody. If I was an athlete, And I can make five grand to speak for an hour or go sign some jerseys or do something before practice. And it's like, that's the only time they can do it. And they have a venue. And I say, well, it might be a couple of minutes late from practice. I mean, what are they going to do? I'm the star. So I feel like NCAA needs to be strict with it because, I mean, we've seen what happens when athletes after college go off and be a pro, feel like they don't have to practice. They get there when they (laughs) get there. I'll just pay the fine, you know, they, it, it's different when you know you're getting paid for something, you're more likely to take the consequence of whatever, knowing, especially in college, somebody gave me five grand in college and I'm eating noodles and noodles and well, the athletes are eating pretty well, but you know, <laughs> I'm just saying, if I had five grand in my pocket, I could buy some shoes, I could get some outfits and stuff, why wouldn't I? So I think the NCAA is very, they should be reg- more regulated with it. What do you think, Ma?
2: Okay, well, I think that uh, I'm just looking at the overall picture and I'm always talking about, you know, title IX with boys and girls or women and men. And I'm thinking with, a, with that rule, it needs, it's kind of broad because I don't see it being the same type of uh, thing for women as it is men, because in a lot of sports, uh, men can leave after that first year where women will have to go ahead and stay for the four years. To get their degree. so there's going to be some different levels of mm-hmm. of um, money making there. Uh, so, well, I, um, I, and I, I and I got
3: you on that. I understand that, Mom. But what I'm saying is, is that yes, it may be. But then you have, I'm gonna say, some bigger name females who
2: they might get these speaking engagements. They might. Well,
4: speaking, so, you so have a point on one, the, Well,
2: the bottom line is. If you got a scholarship to go to college and you signed on the dotted line you're going to class and you're going to participate in the sports program at some point if you don't act right or do right and you're not in the sports program where are you
0: well, well not- and you know something else to think about is well first of all paige beckers is what was going to be the highest paid athlete in sports no matter the sport we that came out a few months ago when it was projected mm-hmm. Who would make the most money? She would make the most money being obviously a a female athlete. But Cole and both Snook bring up a good point. Imagine that you're making money in college. How would people control you? And and what I mean by that is not that not that word control is a big thing but when I say control you want your athletes to be disciplined on time go to class you know like that's another thing so what if athletes are skipping out on class because of the appearances obviously that could happen that that probably will happen there's the other devil's advocate that says athletes aren't going to class anyway spoiler alert athletes aren't really that that's a big thing too like athletes are going to be athletes but is there room to be athlete influencer and student, I, I think so. You know, I, I have to think so, but all I'm saying is my stance is that there has to be a way where everybody wins. I just don't, I just feel like there has to be a way where the university wins, the student athletes win, the brands win. There has to, that universe has to exist, but I do think that there has to be a certain regulation that makes sure that it's existing in the right way. That's all. Okay,
2: tell me this, Renee, if uh, this were to be an athlete at UConn and they were uh, getting a lot of money for different activities. They were being late for practice. They were not going to class and they were just, you know, um, not going to, not doing the things that Gino R.E.M. E. feels that his people in his program should do. What do you think would happen? What would, you know, I mean, the coaches, I mean, regardless of whether there's rules or regulations, or whatever, if you're if you're going to school to play basketball at UConn, Gino R.E.M. is going to say yay or nay whether you hit the court after you've acted an idiot with, you know, your money and all of that or not. And after you're not playing and you're not, you know, on the court, I mean, who wants you? I mean, I'm just saying it's kind of a convoluted question, but that's is what- but, Every coach is
3: not Coach Ariyama. (laughs) Every athlete is not Renee. And there are some athletes that are just going to push the envelope. They're going to find, they might be real cautious at first, then the money might get good. You just, you just, I mean, you can control people to a certain point when a big head's a big head. Athletes, number one, automatically have, you know, we automatically have this feeling of I'm the best. Don't let the money tell me I'm the best. It might change how I feel about everything going around. And who's to say that, oh, you you going to handle my money here. I'll just, the player can say, I could just go somewhere else.
2: Well, oh, that the might- Transfer be portal not, is I, full.
0: We know that's a thing.
2: Yeah. yeah but, but bottom line is, you know, what we're overlooking is, uh, coaches are paid employees and so at some point if you let a lot of stuff go on and things and you know and you get uh violations and all of that you you you're gonna be without a job so you know I think the
0: coaches mm-hmm. this is this is back- why it's the great debate you see like you see how both sides of it VP what are you standing on well
3: Paul, Paul break the tie what's going on
1: <laughs> oh well I mean no I'm for I like what the NII is doing and, and they also let them um like wear their school uh, add uniforms and mascots and stuff. So, but to their, I guess, defense, like I can't name five NAIA schools anyway. So, they need that. Um, so that's smart on their part. Um, but yeah, the NCAA, I think eventually, yeah, it's just gonna eventually. It's a, the, first of all, I think the NAI said they had like one rule for the whole thing. So, first, NCAA has to do that also because they're yeah. just going by states right now. So it's kind of yeah, weird. Yeah, he's
0: saying they need to have like okay. blanketed, everybody needs to have the the same type of rules. Because again, if everyone doesn't have the same type of rules NCAA, then now you have an unfair advantage. If your school's in California, you know that All California right. has those N A I A type of rules. Well then I'm going to California to school. I don't care what school it is. I'm going to California. So well, adult- I don't.
2: The location i think is the size of the school determines whether you're naia or ncaa no i'm
0: saying the ncaa wants to make the institutions decide what happens at their institution so i i think that they need to yes i understand that you know national and state church and state but you got to make sure that there's no unfair advantages created if these schools are picking their own rules is kind of where i'm gonna i'm gonna couch it but i mean this is why it's a great debate
1: it's about to start. It's about to be unfair. Like Georgia and uh, uh July 1st, the uh, athletes can make money.
0: Shouts to Georgia. I mean, I just want to like <laughs> what is going on? Georgia on my mind. Every single time something happens, it's like, where is it starting at? What's happening? Georgia. Who's the deciding factor? Georgia. So okay, Georgia. We start in July 4th. The athletes is about to get they paper. Okay. I look. Yeah. I just like athletes getting paid because I know that the schools have made a gazillion dollars. So everyone on here understands that we all want athletes to get paid. There's just different mindsets in there's responsible athletes. There's some not so responsible athletes. There's responsible schools. Let's not forget there's some not so responsible schools. So we just got to make sure that, yes, it needs to be done. Let's just see if we can find a way that everyone wins. That's kind of
1: where we're at. It. The only other thing I got is to like the girl in the article about volleyball, like she wasn't really making the money off the volleyball. So it was, it's it was her TikTok and do it yourself thing. So that was like, that's like separate anyways. Like the-
0: yeah, so he's saying that there was an influencer that they used as an example for NAIA. She has 3 million followers, I believe, on a social media platform. And because now that the NAIA had opened it up to so that the athletes can make money, she was basically making money off of being an influencer. Not necessarily that she was a volleyball player, but she was an influencer that has 3 million followers. And so brands were attaching themselves to her. And now she can legally make money. <laughs>
2: So, but I, I, you know what, the, the problem I had with that, if it didn't deal with what the sport she was playing, it wasn't none of their business if she was making money Ooh, because okay. Okay. Stay <laughs> if it's the sport, that's one thing but I agree. else, you know, like the guy, you know, uh, people who go to school, like at MIT or whatever, they come up with something on their own and start making money. They still going to school and, you know, going to get their degree. Yeah, that's their money. The,
0: let the, that, don't worry about what's in my pocket. That's I agree. I
2: totally. agree. No, I was going to say that too. That's why I said, uh,
3: I'm like, that's not really the same thing because, yeah. you know, you do an influence. You could be doing that in between classes. That has nothing to do with the sport. We're talking about people who, some of these players, they're going to be signing shoes jerseys yeah they're going to be going to parties and games and showing up at clubs and getting a pay off the door like that's the stuff i'm talking about the stuff that that you're they're using their sport as their celebrity to get paid we're not talking about if she got three million influencers that's her money i, I love it stanley Lane ncaa on that one i agree with NCAA. That. you better get out <laughs>
0: my pockets <laughs> and yeah, i
3: one, want
1: a one. influencer one, and tiktok one other thing that's kind of random but um in the subdivision, which is still Division One, like uh, what's his name, Deion Sanders, was on a podcast, and he teach, uh, teaches. He coaches at the HBCU. and the, the kids, the kids could have jobs, but at the Division One level, they can't have jobs.
0: And that's tough because there's the division one athletes that are struggling just because you get a full ride. Doesn't mean that you're all set. You know, there is financial aid. We understand that, but a lot of times there's, I know plenty of athletes that was struggling in college. If you look at a lot of male athletes, that's why they go pro. They say it like they go pro because yes, my, schooling is covered, but my family's struggling. My, my mom is barely making it. My, so there's so many things that maybe, I don't know. I'm not saying it would, but maybe some male athletes might stay in school longer. If they are able to make money and sustain their families and sustain a certain lifestyle, they might get an education. You know, I, I don't know, maybe not because it might not be the millions they can make pro, but not everybody's going pro. But, yeah, that's,
1: that's, all, those folk uh, heroes that are just like really good at their schools. Uh, yeah make money.
0: That
2: just shows how stupid it is. You're going to say you can't work and then you can't can't get no money either. I mean, that's just stupid. Can't work,
0: can't
3: get paid. paid. I I agree that we should do it. I just said that they need to have a way that it is done so that the sports don't suffer. And that's what I said. And another thing is, is that you think about it. Yes, I think it's terrible that they're not getting paid for anything because these aren't regular sized people. I mean, you got guys who are six, nine. They can't go to a Marshalls or a TJ Maxx and buy a pair of pants or they can't buy a shirt. My son is tall and I have problems finding clothes and shoes he wears a size 15 it's hard you can't just go into a store Bro. and say my shoe broke I need another shoe it costs money and not every athlete wants to wear the school sweats everywhere they go or the school shoes everywhere they go so I think it is terrible that they are limited to not making money I just said make sure it makes sense and that the su- the sports don't suffer
0: that's all I love that I love that and, and you know when we're talking about athletes I know plenty of athletes that they play a sport, but they also have other passions or they're also great at other stuff. So for happening IRL this week, we had a former athlete, Melina Savage, and she broke into, I would say, uh, a field where it's dominantly male. And the, one of the reasons that it's dominantly uh, a male-dominated job is because the things they have to do. She has to carry equipment that is so heavy that she actually has to work out and keep her body a certain level of maintain so that she can perform her job. Listen to Melina.
5: All right, hey everyone, I'm Melina Savage. Um, Originally from Seoul, Korea, and uh, I was raised in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Came to Atlanta, Um, been here about eight, nine years now. Um, I came here for work and solely for production. um, Atlanta has been a city where it's it's evolved in so much as far as film and production, um, sports, athletics, uh, you name it, just a well-rounded city. And I felt like it's a great place for me and to be able to expound on my expertise and skill sets that I've gotten along the way and be able to use them in everyday um, practical settings. And um, as a videographer, as a camera operator, you know, I started off um, at ESPN right out of college. I was a division two basketball player at UNC Pembroke, University of North Carolina at Pembroke. I had dreams of being in the WNBA one day, but guess what? It's okay. I'm in the NFL of the media. (laughs) Yeah, There you go. Yes. 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 Yeah. So uh, I always had an eye for um, with camera work and photography and stuff like that. So after my career at ESPN, um, I took a little dive overseas. I left there a little bit. That's where I first initially met Renee when she was playing basketball for UConn and I was actually working at ESPN and, you know, UConn girls was a really, really big deal still are, but, um, I ended up going around the world. And um, during that time, I was able to figure out what it is that I really wanted to do. And I found myself back into media again and doing camera work and stuff like that. So I went to Iraq and went to Afghanistan for four and a half years, continued to apply for a job while I was overseas, finally landed a job here in Atlanta at CNN. Then after a year later, it opened doors um, for me to work for NBA, I worked for um, NBA, CNN, HLN, ESPN, UFC, BET, Viacom, um, you name it, NFL. Yes, Network. extensive, love and, it. Uh, mm-hmm. To make a long story short, so after I found out what, what I'm really skilled at in um, 7, 7717, 777, 7, um, <laughs> that's when I incorporated Savage Productions. Mm-hmm. So I did that in a way that I can make myself more marketable instead of being just with one company, I'm able to use my skills everywhere else. So when
3: you were actually looking and you start out in your career, it is a predominantly male, like behind the scenes, or it used to be, I should say, you, you know, you're, you're breaking ways for a lot of women. So how was it when you first try to get into it? You were saying you were applying for jobs. Was it harder to get into? Like, was it just, you know, it just wasn't a big, you know, a, a lot of women that were available. So how was
5: it trying to get into that career? Um, Being a a woman, and not only just a woman, but a minority colored woman um, getting into this field with male, predominantly white males, it was not as easy. Uh, I found myself having to prove myself day in and day out. Um, I was not able to be a mediocre male and be able to get in. I had to be like a phenomenal woman to be able to get into the lowest levels of positions. And then once I proved myself and my expertise, that's when it's kind of get a little bit easier but it still doesn't get easy because in every step of the way you still have to compete with a male and then the majority male and then also having to prove what it is that you know and what it is that they don't know and once they realize that you know a little bit more than them then it also gets a little bit more difficult you know so Absolutely. um yes. it actually uh Pushed me to be where I'm at today. If I didn't have those obstacles, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. So you know, I'm actually proud and thankful that I had to go through a whole bunch of hula hoops and um, prove myself in a way. So no one can really take it from up under my feet. Absolutely, that's 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 (laughs) the that's the good part sometimes about adversity
3: is that it does allow you to become your best person in whatever Uh you want to do. So um, once you broke in, like once you broke in, is there are there like well, first of all, breaking in, how much does that cameras, the cameras actually weigh? Because you did say that you, I know that you say you work out steadily to make sure that you're able to hold this camera. How much do they weigh? I'm just curious.
5: Well, it typically depends. Well, the, um, what I really got known for was Steadicam, which is the stabilizer that you actually put the harness and you attach it to your body. Um, it, it's, it adds a lot more creativity, but it also requires a different type of physical strength, different type of stamina that camera weighs at least 75 pounds. Sometimes with, yeah, with the new technology, we try to get the weight down so that uh, when productions last longer, you're able to withstand it and be able to be more agile without it abusing your body and stuff like that. So anywhere between 60 to 75 pounds, still a lot.
3: Oh my (laughs) goodness, yeah. So you still had to jump. So not only were you jumping through hoops probably with the production part of it, but even the physical part of it. So what part was actually the part that you seemed like, it seemed like that was the biggest hurdle for you or the biggest hoop that you had to jump through?
5: Okay, but yes, with the Steadicam, not only the physical aspect of it, but it's also the technology part of it where um, knowing my information as um, with cameras, what they do, how they're hooked up, what type of show I'm on, um, just basically all around expertise on knowing how to hook, hook the camera up and also being, being able to physically wear it. Because with Steadicam, you can also just know how to operate, but it's one thing when you know how to build it and you also know how to put together the camera and audio feeds and stuff like that according to the production. So um, along the way within being in um, the industry, I have learned those things as far as technology and I worked on other kind of cameras, but when I seen the steady cam, um, it was one of those things I looked at, like I never seen another woman do it too. And I also could see the creativity that it allows. So um, it was difficult at first, but now it's one of those things where I've proven myself to the point where any and every um, network might see me and be like, okay, yeah, I know her, but it wasn't like that in the beginning. And it took years and years and years of that um, to prove myself and also to my colleagues. And still even to this day, I walk up on a set and I'm there to do camera. And then they're like, okay, meet our steady cam op. And then they point to me and then it's kind of like <laughs> Yeah. They thought, the guy, they thought that the guy beside me was the steady cam op. They do yes. Yes, yes, yes. Always the doubt. The doubt when you walk
3: in. Then when you start working, they're like, oh, she's a pro, she's got this. This is great, you know. So yeah, I, I can I, I can only imagine because 75 pounds um is pretty daunting especially like you said, if it is extensive. So what type of workouts do you do in order to keep your physical with that? Cause that, that can be a lot as far as just going to, cause you never know when you walk into a set, what they might want you to do, or if you have to redo it. So
5: what kind of workouts do you actually do? Um, normally I would go to the gym like five times a week, but now due to COVID, uh, I actually have a, a setup in my garage. Um, for now, I'll just work out a few times a week. And um, since I'm doing steady cam, I used to do a lot of deadlifts and a lot of squats, but now I don't, cause I try to protect my back. So I'll try to do other exercises like lunges or um, leg lifts or uh, leg presses or pushes, just other ways. And I try to keep my calves, um, mainly keep my core core strong cause that's what it, where it's really at. And I do uh, bench press a lot, you know, curls. Just typical uh, full body workouts. I never really do the typical chest and back or buys and tries, Um, just whatever I feel like I wanna work on and I just try to remain active and it really helps me out when I'm doing steady cam. And when I know I have a long shoot example, like NBA All Stars, if I know it's gonna be a long time, I'll try to limit some of my workout, but I also try to do some stuff like the elliptical or something that'll keep me free flowing and uh, a lot of stretches. That sounds, yeah. I'm glad I had to sit behind this camera and not, (laughs)
3: that's a lot. That is a lot. So Renee told me that you, you did, um, the RMF or the Renee Montgomery foundation. I'm sorry. Uh, Juneteenth production. Tell me how you, did you like that experience? Tell me about that experience.
5: Oh yeah. I really love that experience. Actually the night before I couldn't sleep because I was trying to make sure that I did everything that I was supposed to do to represent her in a way, because I knew that that was something big for her. So, um, when I go out and go shoot, I'm not just thinking about when I'm going to go shoot. I always think about what it is and what it means to that person. So when I went out there, I felt like it was, it was awesome. I was ecstatic. Um, I got a couple of people that was able to come and help me and, you know, at least even be a helping hand with, uh, camera equipment or microphones if we needed it. Um, it was a great experience to even see how she was as a player, you know, knowing how she was as a Uh, a player at UConn and then even in the professional and then expounding on to being able to fight social injustice and just doing things for our community, you know, down in Centennial to see the love of Atlanta, you know, she's not from here, but I've seen that she's gained so much respect and so much, you know, fan base here in Atlanta. And then just to see her give back, it was a great feeling and even to be a part of it and to be able to capture those moments. It was, it was awesome.
3: Okay. And you know what? we're not going to glaze over. You did say you were going to be in the WNBA. So tell us a little bit more about that as well. We're not going to, we're not going to just escape that. And who did you look, you know, who did you look towards growing up as far as even that's concerned? Who did you look at when you were growing up as far as WNBA and playing? And just let us know a little bit about that.
5: Um, when I was growing up playing um, first person that I ever really can remember was like the lisa leslie's the cheryl swoops you know the Cappy poindexters um i looked up to those like sue birds um even um what was uh i forgot her name from yukon i just went blank naya Tarasi, but she was more she was more in my age she's a little bit older than me but i actually was you know like the cheryl swoops and um when they first got into the league, it was way different than what it is now. Right. You know, I'm pretty sure they're sitting back looking like, (laughs) like, wow. (laughs) And even growing, you know, um, Candace Parker, when she played for Tennessee and then she finally got into the league and then, you know, um, those type of players, um, even Renee, but she was at UConn, but I was already, I was out of college at that point and I had got my first job at ESPN doing cameras and stuff. So, you know, I looked at the Maya Moores, the, Renee Montgomery's, even Sharday Houston, um, Tina Charles, those are the later generation, but um, the main ones were the ones that I just said, and yeah. uh, just to see when the w 1st formed, um, those were the ones that I looked up to, and then when I seen Cheryl Swoops got a pair of Jordans, and I <laughs> hey, changed everything, did it? <laughs>
3: changes everything all right well that was great so we're gonna actually get into the apparel side now you have your own apparel company and I've looked at the the apparel I like it the the sweatshirt I'm a hoodie person I like hoodies so I love the hoodies but tell us what made you start your own um, apparel
5: um well ever since I was little I've always had a a passion with fashion and design shoes and but um (laughs) just all that stuff and I always had an eye for something so what initially made me start the apparel was, this is way left, but um, I had a friend of mine and um, her son had passed away and he was 12 years old. Oh, Some, she needed someone to, this was an odd request for someone to be a videographer at a funeral. And I was like, oh, what?
3: Yeah,
5: that's hard. So, um, you know, I ended up doing it. And I was like, if I could do this, I could do anything, you know? And then I got my feedback on how professional I was and stuff like that. So when I sat back on it, I was just thinking like, you know what, Caleb, I'm going to go ahead and start my own shirts. Cause I started making shirts for him, like designing them and making, you know, uh, um, live long or live life King Caleb. And I just started designing stuff for the family. And then, that's when I started my logo design. And then I was like, I wanna put this on apparel and um, not only will it be with established productions but it can also be seen and known by strangers. Like if you see the drip, you know what it is or if you see um, the logo and I just like clothes. I'm a big person on material. So I don't have it all the way ironed out. I'm still doing my trial error and research. You know, um, if it's a certain hoodie brand that I like I'll try to stick with it. Or if I put it on, put my logo on it. And I don't like the material I'm thinking about the consumers. Like they're not going to like it neither. And, um, that's just pretty much it. You know, just wanting to put my brand out there, like with, um, Nike or Adidas is when I came up with the logo, like here. Yes. So if you see that, you know what it is around the world. It is. That's that. You see that. And then with the E and, um, you know so i'm just i was just playing around with it and i really really like apparel and i like fashion and design and i just started thinking hey if i'm gonna wear anybody else's stuff why not wear my own oh i love and i love that
3: you put a little bit of you know yourself and story in the brand because that's that's the passion
5: that's what passion mm-hmm. is yeah. um and so, so go ahead all right so this is the lens you see okay. the camera lens yes. and the grip and then the colorful, because I'm a colorful, vibrant person. And then also my personality and lifestyle and all ties into uh, also with film and television, RGB, with the colors of the spectrum and the scope. So right. Tie all that in. That is awesome. That is awesome.
3: And I, I love that you tell people because then it means more. Like people understand exactly where you were going and what, what propelled you to have that as your actual logo and everything so we're also going to talk about you said you like shoes how long have you been in the shoe collection game that's an amazing wall behind you
5: uh I've been doing this pretty much <laughs> this isn't even the half I got some stuff in my garage I gave away over 60 pair um but I uh I think since middle school really um my dad he was in the Air Force. Um, when I was younger, I used to go to basketball practice and I come home on Saturdays, he would take me to the PX, which is the military exchange store where you can buy, um, you know, if Jordans were $119 outside, there would be $99 there. So you could get it with no tax and stuff. So then he would take me every other weekend and I would get a pair of shoes and they just started accumulating accumulating. But really, I really started liking shoes because of the basketball players that I was following and the football players like. The Grant Hills, the Jerry Stackhouses, you know, the Deion Sanders, the Michael Jordans, the Dennis Rodmans, and then it just, the Kobe Bryants, and, and then they just start accumulating. There. <laughs> Building an <laughs> <the laughs> empire. Charles Barkley's, like, I got Barkley's in here, I got Candace Parker's in here, I got Jordan's in here, I got LeBron's in here, just...
3: Yeah, I mean, yeah, you built it. You have built an empire. That's an oppressive wall. So um, it's been. I mean, you know, thank you. Your story is amazing. Um, like I said, you are inspiring to so many little girls as long as, as well as adults who maybe want to do that didn't even know it was available to them. So I want to thank you for joining us for happening remotely, Renee and, and you have been um, a blessing to us today. Um,
0: thank you so much. Okay, and shouts to Savage Productions, LLC, because I use them for a lot of the stuff that I do at my foundation. I've worked with Melina at Turner Studios with NBA TV. I've worked with Melina at Fox Sports South, which is now Bally Sports. Um, She's like everywhere I am, which lets you know that she's just, she's really killing it. She's working with some reputable brands. So I just love to see her killing it. Now we're gonna move on to a little fun. I like, we like to call this little number remote game show. And we call random people out of our phone just to to see if they know trivia because everyone loves trivia. Shouts to Suzanne, she says she wants to know the shot at it. We might circle back, but today we are (laughs) going to talk to Steve, the big WNBA guy. And the crazy thing is, People don't really know that we're we're calling them. So we call them, and that's why I intro it like they're on a real game show. We need sounds, bells, whistles. It's coming. Let's call Steve. Steve. Hello, hello. What's up? Is this Steve, the big WNBA guy? Speaking. Ah, Steve, (laughs) I would like to welcome you to Remotely Renee. You are now a contestant on Remote Game Show, where we will ask you, five questions in a minute and a half span. You can skip a question and come back if you don't know that question, or if you know them all and you can answer them all in a row, do your thing. Do you understand the rules, Steve? And are you ready to play? Oh, I'm ready. Okay. (laughs) Cole, you got the timer ready? Let's see it. I'm ready. All right. Start the clock. Steve, what year did Facebook launch? Uh. Say 2006. Uh, Good guess. 2004. Which U.S. city is known as the city of brotherly love? Philadelphia. Come on now. What retired basketball player tried out for the Chicago White Sox in
4: 1994?
0: Michael the Goat Jordan. Oh, okay. After how many personal fouls is a player ejected from an NBA game? Boom. Snook and Cole said that they would let they would let this fast food pizza chain take over their living room for a fee each month. That's, a,
1: that's the last
0: one
5: though. Wait, what was the
0: question? This fast food chain, Nicole and Snook said that th- they would let this fast food pizza chain take over their living room for a fee each month.
4: I'm going to
0: have to go with Domino's. <laughs> All right, but that's okay. It was Little Caesars Pizza. They were doing a little special. But you got – how many did you get? You got three out of the five. You got Philadelphia, Michael the Goat, Jordan, and six fouls. Three out of five ain't too bad, big WNBA guy. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. And listen, I got a bonus question, okay? I got a bonus question for you because I heard that you you follow all things UConn. Oh, you know I do. Okay, so I'm just going to ask this question, not even knowing the answer, but I want to know if you know the answer. How many WNBA players are currently – I mean, how many UConn players are currently in the WNBA?
4: Actually, just
1: name them all, name them all, name them all.
2: Brianna Stewart, Nafisa Collier, Crystal Dangerfield, Kia Nurse. um, Who else? Who else? Diana Taurasi,
6: Sue Bird. Who else am I missing? Kia Stokes.
4: Um, Who else? There's got to be like three more, two more at least.
0: Yeah, I think a Tina Charles, has she been named?
2: Tina Charles.
0: Oh. Tiffany Hayes. Tiffany Hayes, shouts to my dog on my team. Yeah. Mariah Jefferson. Mariah, Oh, come on, Snooker Booker, you credit. <laughs> oh, no. She giving you help. She giving you help.
2: Jefferson. Kate Beeler Samuelson. The tall girl, Dolson.
0: Stephanie Dolson. Goodness, come on, UConn. oh my god
3: you might as well say almost the whole WNBA uh
0: (laughs) (laughs) league (laughs) i love it steve i love it thank you for hopping on and joining us for remote game show thanks for having me renee love it (laughs) have a great day Okay, so you know one of the questions I was just triggered a little bit. Because one of the questions was what's the city known as brotherly love. It was Philadelphia and I will see you Philadelphia for the playoffs with the Hawks coming up soon. (laughs) I can't wait, we can't wait, I'm just saying look. New York was fun because I had a lot of friends that were New York Knicks fans. I didn't even know. I don't even know if they knew they were Knicks fans until the Knicks made the playoffs. But I digress. I do know that I got a couple of friends that are Philly fans. I don't know if I'm going to feel the same way because I heard (laughs) that Philly They play dirty, okay? I just, I heard that the Philly fans ain't no joke in a sense of y'all might really, like, be taking some shots below the belt. I don't really know. I'm nervous, okay? I'm just going to say it right now. I like some good, clean banter and fun. I think Philly is not with the games. They are, like, by any means necessary, so.
1: Watch out for Ben Simmons, though.
0: I don't know. Like, I don't know how to feel about that. What'd you say, VP?
1: Ben Simmons. (laughs) Huh? Watch out for Ben (laughs) Simmons.
0: Oh, gosh. And, and. And VP is a huge Ben Simmons guy. I don't know how this even happened. How did you become?
1: Because like, I like because everyone hates on him, so I'm like, nah, I, I like him now.
0: So you no, like no. Him specifically because everyone hates on him. Yeah. Underdog. I, I hope
1: not really underdog. That's why it's funny. Like people, it doesn't make sense. I don't.
0: I don't know how to feel about this because when I it's got the, the ben Hawks rookie
1: card is trying to go up too. So you know. What I'm
0: <laughs> yeah. Listen. You you are talking about Ben Simmons because he has investments in it. He has trading cards, NFTs. He, you probably have bobbleheads, all of that because Paul is playing the long game. He thinks that Ben Simmons is going to be the one to invest in, and so that's why. I mean, also too, he he likes the underdogs. But I just know that we're Team Hawks over here. I'm just going to say that I don't even know if we are, but we're Team Hawks over here. We're team Hawks over here, and. Yeah. and
6: by the way, and and uh,
0: just a- to, uh, just to add, you know,
2: with the Hawks beating the Knicks last night or whatever, and going on to Philadelphia, you know, I hope the uh, the Hawks are victorious there. But I hope I can look out in the audience and see AI sitting out there supporting his <laughs> old Philadelphia team.
0: Okay, okay, I like that. So here's another thing. Speaking of people in the playoffs. Brooklyn Nets are in the playoffs as we all know we had one of their coaches join us for remotely one-on-one this week Amari Stoudemire you guys may know him from Mm -hmm. his amazing NBA career we know that he likes to dunk on people the pick and roll master with Steve Nash we've seen all of that but now he's taking his talents to coaching and he's not only doing that but he's seeing his feel you know former athletes we want to be connected to the game but what is that connection? Do I want to be in the front office? Do I want to be in coaching? Well, I talk about all that and more with Amari, St- Amari Stoudemire. Check it out. All right. So we have, I to me, the legend, Amari Stoudemire. I remember watching you play many days, and you're not that much older than me, but I just respect game. And so we have Amari, Amari Stoudemire on there. And I want to just start out because I've been talking a lot about entrepreneurs and athletes and just finding your own path and we both have something in common where i played overseas in israel for two seasons i played for maccabi ashdod and what is it ramah Sharon. uh who did you play for overseas
6: yeah <laughs> no doubt yeah 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 i played for i played for apoyarusa lime and i played for maccabi tel aviv
0: okay okay so he you played for the big boys okay but <laughs> while you were there in 2018, you must've been feeling good about the mother country because you launched a kosher, you, you launched a wine um, and it was Amari, St- sorry, Stoudemire Cellars. Can you just tell me about how that came about? What made you want to get into the wine business?
6: Yeah, I was, um, you know, what, I was, uh, I traveled the world a lot doing wine tasting, right? So I did that for like two years. And then I moved to New York and I had these wine tasting at my rooftop in New York. And the guy that brought the wine by was a friend of mine, but he was mentioned to me like, I should I should start my own wine company. And so I was like, all right, cool. Let's, let's think about it. But I met, I met a, I met a, a, um, a winery out in Israel and we had conversations about it and that's kind of how it started. We just kind of took it from there.
0: So you like, you just started from scratch, never really had a background in anything like that. And did you, how involved were you in like the creative process? Did you kind of just, were you hands on or did you just say, Hey, I like this type? and y'all have at it.
6: No, I was hands on. I was completely hands on. Like I was, um, I went through all the different juices. I tasted every blend. Um, I had my guy from Arizona create the labels for me. And the, label, the labels took about, you know, six months to get the label figured out. It took about four months to find and the just, right-
0: Six juice. months just for the design of the label. Like just, I'm trying to put it in picture. Cause I had, I have a lot of entrepreneurs on here. So people that are creating things, I like to, to explain to them the process. It's not, it's not like this. You don't just say you want a wine and you got a wine. It took you six months to create the label. What was that like?
6: Yeah, so I had, to, I had to figure out exactly what I wanted, like what style. So I wanted something that was for the Israeli wine It's my first collection. I wanted something that was like timeless and something that was like royal. So I, I figured out I wanted something. When I created the wine, the the, the the label, we went through a lot of different, you know, spectrums of what we were thinking. And we narrowed down to about a good 10 solid ideas. And I went into like this design mode from there and figured it out.
5: Dang,
0: that's crazy. And so once you finally had the wine that you liked and and everything was right, the labels, what was it like now being on the other side of things in a sense of your entrepreneur? How did you get it? Like, how did you market it? How are you going to get it out there? There's a lot of different wines. What makes yours different?
6: Well, the of my wines is a kosher wine, right? So it's, it's always great for the festivities, for the holidays, um, to, you know, family affairs and have a nice, clean, clean, healthy wine to drink. Um, and, and so that's one differentiator. And then the other one is, uh, there's not a lot of Israeli wines that are popular. Um, so I think this is one that's that a lot of people are, are gravitating to because the popular culture is really wine. And I'm the only African-American kosher winemaker in the world. So I want to really tap into wow. that space and kind of change the narrative wow. on, that, on that side.
0: Wow, okay. So, and this isn't your, that's pretty lit that you're one of the only ones out there, um, the only. This isn't your first off-court venture though, because if I do recall, you had a record label, a clothing line, you've acted, I mean, children's books. You've always, where did that bug come from that you didn't want to just be an athlete, you wanted to be more?
6: Well, I mean, I always, I always had like an entrepreneur mind, right, I, I grew up I grew up like with a, uh, with, with a leadership mindset, wanted to kind of, you know, do something different and be well, just be who I am, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. I think when I got into the NBA, uh, being me just manifested along the way and a lot of these opportunities came my way because it was just a passion of mine and just gravitated to me and I was able to take advantage of it.
0: I love that and so you talked about the NBA I mean you played for the Phoenix Suns, <clears throat> the New York Knicks, the Dallas Mavs, Miami Heat before retiring but now you're on the other side in the and on the coaching seat with the Brooklyn Nets now. We all know the Brooklyn Nets are legit this year. Can you just talk about what it's like to go from player to now you went to player development and now coaching?
6: Yeah, so I mean for me it was a little bit different for me because I just played last year. I won a championship yeah. over last year. I got the finals MVP, so I was still technically in player mode uh when I got this job. And so I had to somewhat shift my whole mentality from like being a player to coaching and it t- it took some time for me to get that understanding down because I felt you know, I feel I feel like I'm in great shape, and I want to continue to play. But uh, now being able to get to give over my expertise, you know, what I'm saying to the players uh, is I'm finding I'm finding a lot of gratification from that.
0: So, do you work out any still with them? Like, do you get out there and the and work out in the drills or anything like that? I mean, since you're in great shape.
6: Yeah, yeah, we get active. So we have we have a group. We have a group, a stay ready group. So we always keep them ready. So when it's time to play, you know, what I'm saying I'm always there, suited up. And then, you know, and when the guys want to get extra runs in, I'm, all, I'm always there, to, you know what I'm saying, to, to jump in there. So I'm, I'm always ready to get down.
0: Oh, I like that, the stay ready group. I'm about to, to adopt that. And so talk about your group. I mean, there's a lot of people that are looking at the Brooklyn Nets. You know, I cover the Atlanta Hawks here, the broadcast team. I'm, I cover them every game. And we're in the East and you guys, as uh, as long along with the 76ers, are looking like the teams to beat. Can you just talk about y'all's season and how it developed and where y'all are?
6: Yeah, I think the coaching staff, you know, with, with Nash and, and Jock Vaughn and, and Mike D'Antoni, uh, you know, those guys put together a hell of a game plan. You know, they, they sit down and drop all the ins, ins and outs, the X and O's, and they, and, and they put together an entire game plan. Uh, and so for me, I'm like a fly on the wall kind of guy. Like I'm learning so much about the front office, coaching, analytics, I'm just soaking it all up to see where where my career is going to go in the future, right, mm-hmm. in a learning stage.
2: Yeah.
6: Um, but, yeah, I, I think, you know, with the team that we had, we have a solid team. Uh, we, we was able to manage with a few ups and downs, with injuries, retirements, and so forth. Um, but we still was able to keep the guys in good shape, and we still got the, the number one seed in the East so far.
0: Yeah, and you talked about it, like, because a lot of people – Like for me, I started out in broadcasting. I was doing the color commentating. But then when I had a taste of in-studio, I realized, dang, I like in-studio more. Is there something that you're leaning towards more that you can see? Like I gravitate towards the analytics or I like being the player development guy. Is there something that you're leaning towards more when it comes to that coaching um, space?
6: Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm leaning more toward the front office space, learning more about that world and figuring out how that works. Uh, that takes more of a learning curve than coaching, right? Coaching for me will become yep. easy because I've played so many years, but the front office space needs a lot more uh, learning. So I'm leaning toward toward that space a little bit more.
0: And I just, I talk about this a lot because I'm a player turned exec. And so a lot of times people don't see athletes in that space. We play the game all of our lives. We've gave our blood, sweat, and tears to it. And then people don't see us as being that high management role can you just I always tell people I think that should be the natural progression but can you talk about what it's like to one work for you work for a former athlete and a Steve Nash and what that's like that dynamic like when you build a team atmosphere and what that can do in a management role like a lot of people would say you might not be qualified because you haven't done x amount of years in in corporate but why would you think you are
6: qualified well I think you know from a coaching standpoint uh obviously there's there's you know, a learning curve, right? How to break down film, how to articulate your message to the players, how to manage talent, how to manage emotions within the players, um, you know, how to draw plays, like to you know and get the strategy figured out. There's a lot of, there's also learning within that, but for a lot of us players, we play before, so we know the game, right? You know, you play the game, you know, you're on the court, you're figuring the game out on the court, like you, you're you like a coach out there on the court. Um, so that transition over into coaching easier. Uh, So I think, I think, you know, front office work requires, education requires you to understand how to break down numbers and and figure out how, how, you know, certain scenarios can work with your team. Um, So I think both coaching and front office require a learning curve.
0: Okay. So it's, it's so interesting because you just never, when you're an athlete, you know, your passion is sports, but you never know where that path is going to take you but I want to hear some predictions okay so we know the Bucks are going to be going against Amari Stoudemire's Brooklyn Nets who do y'all got winning that round Booker, who you got I got the Nets okay Cole what you got Wait, why you got the Nets too I just I just like I just like their chemistry
2: and the way they play okay uh Cole what you got I'm just gonna bounce and do the
3: opposite just to make it fun. I'm gonna go with the bucks just to see what's gonna happen. Okay, well we'll see.
0: We'll see. I like it. VP, are you got a dog in the fight?
3: What's up? Nets in
1: five. Oh,
3: he actually called it. Okay, so let me. So let me say. I say bucks in fifteen.
0: Ah. love it here i love it here my sister said bucks in 15 Ooh. we know it's the best out of seven that's why we like to have fun oh, i
3: thought you meant points i thought you meant by points
0: oh no he meant in how many games bucks oh oh he well in five games. You know, i don't care how <laughs> many games
3: if we win i thought you were talking about like points like this next game coming up how many points we Ooh, so
0: cole, cole made a bold prediction with 15 point, like the Bucks will win by 15. That's, that's not a little bit. So if it was me, I say it's, I mean, I think it's going to be the Brooklyn Nets uh, in four. I mean, I know that's very aggressive. I think that, I don't know. Could they get, could the Bucs get swept? I don't know. But I feel like if you're the Brooklyn Nets and you're a championship contender with the talent they have, I think that they could sweep a lot of teams. Um, that's too aggressive. I I feel it. Nets in five. Nets in oh, five. five. I, say, I, I
3: wouldn't say. Five. I wouldn't say. I would say a sweep. I wouldn't say a sweep.
0: Yeah. No. That actually, Nets in six. I just some game. Nets in six. Up. Final <laughs> answer. I think that you know it's just hard. Everybody's beat up. You never know. Also, two injuries is a thing. So I don't know, but I, I like up. it. So we got three nets and a buck. Is that what we got? Hey. <laughs> three? Look, I had three bucks in my yard on, on the
2: other
1: day.
0: <laughs> West Virginia. Mountain mama.
3: Oh my goodness.
0: David, speaking of your backyard, Snookabooka, I know that you're going to take us into your world with remote roots. What we got up for this week?
2: Well, you know, the country is uh, opening up and COVID is going down. And so I hope everyone is trying to plan a vacation or some kind of getaway with their family after having been cooped up for a whole year. And so, you know, we talked about mental health. So getting out, and getting around, and going on vacation is a way of kind of, you know, massaging or you know, supplementing your mental health. And so this week on Roots, I want to share with you how I'm getting ready to go on the Montgomery uh, the Montgomery uh, vacation. Ooh. Can't wait. Yep. heading out tomorrow, and one of the things when you check me out is that you'll be surprised at some of the things I do to prepare for a big trip. So watch. <laughs> I'm getting ready for a vacation. First, I'll stop by a friend's house and say "see you in a few." Next, I'm off to the spa. The spa is like really the beginning of vacation, where you take a few moments and do a few things for yourself. The spa experience always is a perfect start for the vacation after leaving the spa i'm headed to one of my favorite places that i love to pick up a few pieces for vacation ivers is a nice boutique that i frequent and they always have the perfect outfits for the summer next off to the shoe store what woman doesn't need a new pair of shoes for vacation then onto the house to start packing packing is really a chore do i take this do i take that do i have room for everything so after packing my clothes the next chore is to get ready for hotel stay so the first thing i do is get all of my and everyone does this get all of my cleaning and disinfecting things together first i have the bag for the remote I always take my own soap dish because they say the soap dish is one of the dirtiest things in a hotel. I carry my own hand um, wash and let naturally, you have to carry your Lysol. I carry the spray. I carry the wipes. I wipe down everything. And I have another spray for when I been out of the hotel room, etc. and my paper towels. As you can't tell, I'm probably a germaphobe. Also, I carry my own pillowcase, and I also carry tablecloths that I get from the dollar store to cover all of the eating areas, so that even after I wash them down, I feel a little bit better about them being clean. So here I've taken the tablecloths, and I've cut them into sections so that I have some for every size of table in my hotel room and last you'll see here i have placemats i use the placemats on my nightstands because on my nightstand i put my medicine i put my drinks maybe a little snack and my phone and so i like for it to be on a clean surface now when i fly i've ordered these airplane seat covers you'll see that they are uh, they come packaged very small so that they're easy to pack and all you do is open them up when you get on the plane and you'll see that it has a little uh, pocket there for you to put over the over the seat and also it has the arm holders so you can even cover up your arms i don't know i just think that after a lot of people ride in the car in the airplane seats that they might be a little germy now a lot of people who know my daughter renee know that she's also a germaphobe. So just a little secret I'll disclose right now. Lastly, I'll try to get my plants together. i always tell them, okay, here's a little extra water. I'm putting you in the house where it's air conditioned. So, you know, it's up to you whether you live or you die. So take care of yourself while I'm gone. And lastly, here we are, hitting the road. Off to, on vacation. See you when I get back.
0: Okay, so if people were wondering where I get my germophobia ways, I was wearing <laughs> masks on planes before COVID. If people wonder where that came from, would somebody come look in Snooka Boka's video Call what? We are going to be very ready for our family vacation, okay? You know, but it's funny is because it's
3: almost normal <laughs> for us, whereas we've been yeah. cleaning the whole entire room before we step in. Your feet don't touch the floor. You got to pull the covers back. Lysol miss- everything. saw everything down. Door handles. <laughs> spray the tub down. This is stuff we've always been doing. We just, we're just upping it a little bit more. Just, just, we almost aren't going to touch the ground when we get to the hotels, basically. So <laughs> yeah. um I I I think it's kind of normal for me. What you think, Paul?
0: (laughs) Paul, do you do that stuff? Do you like clean the door handles when you get in there? Wipe down the remote control. Bring bring tablecloths to put on the hotel tables. Do you do any of those things?
1: Uh, I don't know.
0: (laughs) Oh
1: no! I I haven't been there. Oh yeah.
0: And one of the major
2: things is I I can't forget my baggie to put over the remote, so the remote is a very germy thing. So you know you have to drop (laughs) it down.
0: so you guys, my snookabooka is taking a remote control and she is putting that remote control in a baggie so that she doesn't have to touch it when she pushes the numbers and changes the channel and the volume. I'm just trying to let y'all know why I am the way I am, okay? I am very Jeremy. I don't, I hope y'all wear flip-flops in the hotel showers. I'm just saying that's a, that to us, that's a no brainer. You don't put your... You don't put your feet put your on bare the feet in
3: there? Oh my gosh. <laughs> you don't know whose feet and everything else has been in there. No, you no, no. You don't
0: know. And that terrifies me. You don't know who's been in there before you. There could, like, sometimes I've heard horror stories that they don't even change the sheets sometimes. They just make the bed back up. I pray that isn't true. I pray that that's a rumor, but those things terrify me, OK? So Everybody. our family is going on our Montgomery family vacation. 21 deep, baby. We're going on vacation, but we'll still see y'all next week where we connect while being remote. Did hey, I just say
2: one thing? Before yes. You? And um, one of the things, if you're getting ready to travel this uh, summer, make sure you've gotten your vaccination. Our entire family, from I won't even say how old the oldest are down to 16, have been vaccinated. So we're tra- we're not spreaders. We're fa- We're traveling as a totally Vaccinated family.
0: Oh yeah, <laughs> we're moving as a vax pack. Okay, this is yes. a vax pack of people, and we're and that's why it's so good because we have that comfort of knowing that we're protected. But we haven't had a family vacation in how long?
3: Three, four? No, longer than
2: that. Eight?
0: I was about eight, to say eight, like oh, about 10, about ten
2: years. About There's ten years.
0: About ten years. You've been
2: playing in the WNBA. <laughs>
0: And that's been about – I think we got our times crossed because it's probably been about 12 years since I had a family vacation because it's hard, just so you guys can understand. when I I don't know when my season is going to end. I always think it's playoffs, it's championship or bust. So I always have to assume that we're going to the last possible game. But if you get knocked out, well, if I get knocked out in the second round, it's hard to plan a family vacation in the two-week window that I have before I have to go overseas. So just so you guys understand why it's just not – easy to plan around an athlete all athletes know that feeling of we don't know when our season is going to end but you know that your next season starts two weeks after your other season ends it's tough but we're going on vacation people florida on three, one, two, three. we out